Father Anthony. Father Harrison. I am so happy. Why are you so happy? So there's a few things. I, I was actually reflecting on it this morning, and it's like, I don't know what's been going on. I, I, I do actually wonder if it's something a bit about my meds hmm. that they've been working. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like, just love Jesus a lot right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. That's good. That's a good place to be, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's been like this last month. I think I shared a few weeks ago or a couple episodes ago. Like there was like, we were, I think we were talking about the priesthood, right? And changing parishes and experience of priests and stuff like that. And how I think I had shared there about like a wound I kind of got, but that like Jesus was speaking his love to me through that wound. And it was just, and I'm looking back, I'm like, that was the moment that he drew me to him. And it's been like, I get my holy hour in and then some every day now. Nice. I I wake up, I make a coffee, I take my meds, and I go to my chapel. Yeah. That's that's the first thing I do every morning. I do not go to my couch anymore. I do not keep a laptop. I keep the laptops away so that I don't have this temptation to go on the computer. I canceled my cable this week. Okay, yeah. Because I don't really watch TV anymore. Yeah. So, like, why even have it? And when I do, then it just stays on for four hours. Yeah. And it was just like, I don't know. And it's like, I'm just becoming, there's a, well, there's a few things. One, so I'm also reading a lot of Giassani, Luigi Giassani, you know, how, how, there's no more Italian name than Luigi Giassani. I mean, right? that's pretty good. It's, it's pretty Italian, eh? <laughs> um, I, I, he's the founder of Communion Liberation, for those who don't know. And I, I read Julian Caron's book, um, The Radiance in Our Eyes, which is, he's the current leader of CL. That I read The Risk of Education by Giassani. Now I'm reading Is It Possible to Live This Way on Faith um, by Giassani. And those have been my, like, I read three books in the last week. Three books. That's and three uh, journal articles. That's a lot of books. It's a lot of books. A lot of words. So, and so the Giassani has been like proposing these questions to me and he's been, he's been kind of helping me re, refine the realness of the incarnation. Nice. Which is that if Christ, if the incarnation's real, Christ is really and truly always in front of us mm. in a in a mysterious way. But that he's also then not only is he in front of us, but he's also our destiny, right? Mm-hmm. He's the light, and I'll bring this up a bit in our topic a bit later. And so it's just been like, I don't know, man. I, I just even when I'm tired, like I don't stay in bed as long as much in the morning anymore. The first thing I do, I mean based on our first episode the first thing i do i get up i pray to angelus as i'm making my bed mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah um i just and uh and even when i'm tired i just kind of what i'm trying to do is just constantly bring to memory the fact that the incarnation's real yeah. and that helps me persevere when i'm tired i'm not perfect there are still times where i've distracted myself too long on my phone and stuff sure, like that sure. but it's like it was just coming to a deeper awareness day and day. Like I was kind of reflecting on it this morning. I'm like, well, you know, when a child takes his first steps, right? It, it's got to, I don't want to put this. Uh, it's got to, it, it really just, it's like, it's like fumbling forward and it has yeah. to almost like, you can see it in their face. It's like every ounce <laughs> of their energy and focus is on this one step forward. Sure, right. Sure. But given six months and they're running around the house and opening cupboards, like there's no tomorrow and making yeah. a mess of everything. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's second nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something to do with like the fact of the incarnation. It's like we have to kind of, it's like taking those first steps again and just making that, it, that uh, con- becoming aware of the fact of the incarnation at every moment so that it becomes second nature. Yeah. Right. So there's that. And then to put the cherry on top okay. of it all, 
we had our first mass this week masses this weekend back to normal yeah or 95 95% back to normal nice and we had i would say about 150 people more than i expected cool i was expecting 75 people 100 people on saturday night we had 150 nice i was like 200 225 on sunday morning we had 325 350 that's a good sign and I and half the faces I'd never seen before because I've I'm still new to the right. parish. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm like I have no idea who half these people are. And there was a lot of families and young people, and it was just such a joyous occasion. I actually I did say to people like just okay, remember this joy a month from now or six months from now when you when we get used to things again, uh, when you're not happy with something. Remember our gratitude with the fact that we are here together. We can sing that we can yeah. uh, see each other again, um, that we can come back to mass regularly, that we don't have to worry about regulations as much anymore. And it was one of, and it was, it was so beautiful. Like my, I had my own joy, but part of my joy was, I don't think I've ever seen people so happy to come to the church. Yeah. It was really moving. Like, I teared up about it a few times over the weekend, not maybe during the mass per se, but like reflecting on it and thinking about it and just thanking God, Mm -hmm. right? Just thanking God of the gift of everything. So I just, my only fear, (laughs) my fear is not that he takes the joy away per se, but that I lose, I lose the fervency that he's put into my heart lately. Right. Because I think that's always a legitimate fear. But it, and then we can be afraid and we, we can stop taking risks, which is actually like when we act on that fear is actually when we start to lose our joy. Right. Right. But like it's or it's like because I think this is like the way to live. But it's, it's <laughs> it sounds that, like it. But it's just that it doesn't change a suffering or a hardship or a burdensome task or paperwork or anything. It does. But it, it's that you're choosing Christ in that moment and in that task. So I don't know, man. Jesus is good. Amen. Isn't he good? Yeah, I would. I mean, I'm I'm for it. Big old fan of the uh, Jesus. It's important to share our joy, absolutely, and our happiness. And I think we don't I mean, do this enough. That's true. Um, well, because the last fifty months for everyone has been very difficult. I think, um, but you know that that idea of being worried about when you're in a good place, um, that that fear of uh, backsliding or going back to normal. I I think part of the key to remedying that is just being constantly aware of our weakness so like there's a bad way where you can always worry about the second shoe dropping and you can live in paranoia and that's bad but if you're if you keep in your mind your weakness and god's love for you i think that's what keeps us going because that there can be that thing i think a lot of us have experienced i know i have before where things are going well and you kind of take it for granted and so you let prayer slide because things are going well. It's a weird thing that we do as Christians, um, but kind of constantly placing our weakness before God, even in good times, not in a negative way, but just in a way that you're grateful that God is filling you with his grace always. So, yeah, it's, and it's funny too. I think we, we, we have that fear because like this is the big thing about Giassani and I want to talk about Giassani's method one day because I think it's really worth talking about. Mm-hmm. It's always about reflecting on our experience in light of our destiny. This yeah. is the heart of his method. And so you reflect on your experience and your experience says it, it can't last. Yeah. Right? Is that a true experience? And that's the question he poses to us. Like he says, because he said he's of the opinion. It's like, no, it can last. Yeah. Right? If you always keep it in light of your destiny. But that requires a work. 
Yeah. Right? That requires an effort. So it's interesting for me, like, and I think that's for me, like, this is the difference from like other times of, it's not even a spiritual high. I don't feel anything in prayer or anything like that. I mean, I've been moved more. I was like, like this morning, oh man, it was such a cool thing. I, I, I was walking around the house. I was doing something in the kitchen and I'm like, Christ is present in my house. Cause I have a chapel here with the blessed sacrament. And I was moved to tears, <laughs> not because of the joy. Actually, it was weird. It was not because of the joy of the fact, but in, it was a, it was it was tears of sadness and joy. Mm. Sadness in how often I can forget he's here. Yeah. But the joy was that it was a realization he placed on my heart, mm-hmm. and he did it not in a way that pushed me away. Exactly. It's, it was it was the joy of an invitation mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of a renewed encounter. I'm like, yeah, he's here. Like, he's really here. I'm never away from him. He's always close to me. And it was just like, and so I think the difference for me, it's like because you're right. I think it, it, perhaps in our immaturity, and this is why I think God allows us to go through a lot of these quote unquote ups and downs yeah, is yeah. is to purify the heart, to purify of our attachments. Because like I'm not backsliding at all mm-hmm. i'm actually doubling down in my efforts yeah. i'm going to my chapel more i want to pray my bible i want to read my bible more i like, guess why i got rid of the tv because i'm like it actually distracts from my ability to find jesus mm-hmm. it's not to say i don't watch tv or anything like that it's not saying having cable is bad it's just for me it doesn't work so i watch tv when i go to bed or maybe when i'm having a meal at dinner time or something like that sure. that's about all i watch now like on apple tv and that's it and i'm like i don't know so this has been just good and and i'm hoping and praying that this can continue so that when hardships and difficulties arise, I just remember to reflect on my experience in the moment to find Christ there. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that what you described, um, that's how you can tell a chastisement is actually from God. It does mm-hmm. not, it doesn't, it's not putting up a roadblock, it's an invitation. Like there's mm-hmm. a sadness there, but it's not one that makes us despondent. And right. that's how you know it's coming from God and not from your crazy brain. Um, right. And I think that's an important example because a lot of times we think we're being chastised by God when either we have low blood sugar or we're actually depressed or whatever else yeah. is going on. That thousand right. things can be going on, you know. Uh, but that's that's how you can tell it's coming from God and not from something else. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of chastisements, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And uh, I'm glad you're happy. And I'm, I, I've been seeing God's providence at work in mysterious and sometimes even baffling ways in my life. Because July 1st is the, is it Canada Day? Is it, That's uh, right. it's the day of Canada. Um, yeah. Uh, and I only know this vaguely because of you. Uh, but uh, God in his wisdom. And it's to, just a day off for most of us. And, and to humble <laughs> and me. And, and an excuse to drink beer. Well, that's, yes, but that's that, what yeah, all good I, I are. Yeah. I, I interrupted your, your narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so God, in his providence, uh, decided that my first day at my new parish would also be Canada Day. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I count that as a signal grace. Uh, God affirming, clerically speaking, affirming our priestly friendship. And uh, while at the same time it was, it was similar, that kind of sorrow that happened on Canada Day, but also a joy in there too. God's teaching me something about that. And I, I don't want to take it further than that, but that was good. So yeah, I'm at my new assignments. Uh, I am yes. currently- New place who dis. New place who dis, uh, same priest. Um, so right now I'm in a guest room uh, because we're still getting my room ready. And uh, I have a uh, personal interior decorator 
who is who's taking care what? of my room. Yeah. Who's that? My mom. I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> my so parents my parents were around a couple weeks ago and they helped me organize my place more. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's one of these weird things that like I've never decorated my own place. Um, like other than putting up a few icons on the wall. And so for this new place, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna let my mom make this place a nice, comfortable place. So the furniture will be coming in, they're repainting everything, getting all that done. So until cool. then, I am in the guest room and that's where I'm recording right now. And um so it's once again i think and i talked about this in the previous episode but lots of emotions uh just the other day i opened up all the cards that i got from my old parish mm-hmm. and the nice notes and the very generous gifts um and so i still have a lot of love for that place and now i'm growing to learn and love this new place and one of the neat first experiences i had here is that there is a special first friday mass that we have at St. Michael the Archangel. And it is... So it has clowns and, and liturgical dancing. No. And uh, guitars and drums and um, and um, flashing lights and a fog show. Mm. So that would indeed be special. This is a different kind of special, Father Harrison. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is the incarnation of the Tradening. So it was a candlelit mass. It was celebrated at Orientum. We had like seven altar servers uh in cassock and surplus um we had uh there's a beautiful choir here and uh they did like the introit and the opening hymn um the glory and a few other things were in latin um and it was just beautiful you had we had um people from our high school youth group there we had people older people there it was this really nice community thing and so that was my first mass wow at, at the uh, and it was <laughs> just like, like hello yeah it was a lot it was a lot, and it was so funny because i was so nervous right. um and well, it's a new place you're not used to it right exactly the other priests were like why are you nervous these people will love you especially this crowd you're like this is the easiest first mass to get into but i was like but it's different and it's new and i want to make a good impression right uh and it was very funny so this is big big church and uh normally crying babies are just background noise to me that I, they don't even phase me. Uh, but just as I was starting my homily, this one little, little baby just like screamed, just screamed very loud and it threw me off and that never happens to me. And so uh, my homily was like, and in the spiritual life, you get more spiritual because of <laughs> Jesus. And I just looked at everyone. I'm like, I'm sorry. I've, I haven't been nervous about preaching in forever. This is, this is, and after that yeah. I could jump into the rest of the yeah, homily. Yeah, yeah. It went fine. It went yeah. fine. And after yeah. the thing is, after that, one of the families will sponsor a little reception. Cool. So after the big mass, we went downstairs. There were pizza, drinks, and that kind of thing. I got to meet a lot of people. Uh, and once again, you had older people sitting down, a bunch of little kids running around the uh, parish basement and all that jazz. Talked to some of the kids from the youth group. Uh, and it was just lovely. Uh, nice. And it's, it's just nice. I, I'm uh, There are three priests here, myself, the pastor, and the other parochial vicar. And I know them very well. And uh, there's just a few neat traditions around here. So uh, Thursdays are kind of like the priest day. We'll have our priest meeting to discuss stuff in the parish, just us. And then the pastor, who is an excellent cook, will make dinner Thursday nights. So we'll all eat dinner together and just chat and talk and that sort of thing. And we try to eat dinner apparently most nights. Um, And so it's just good. So these are good things that are different. And I'm very much like you guys try to eat dinner together 
often is what you're saying yeah that's what they're telling me like he'll he'll make dinner on thursdays yeah, dinner's like so like that's the that's the sunday if you will that's the high holy days yeah. thursdays yeah, yeah yeah uh but most of the time and it even happens um you know that friday night we all we order chinese food and we you know ate after the a little reception and everything so nice. it's it's nice having all the priests in one place having cool. that kind of very intentional community life has been uh nice and awesome. uh people you know they're great um people of god are great everywhere uh and so uh this is my first day i'm back into all the craziness of just regular administrative parish life i had to run down to the tribunal to drop off marriage paperwork i'm answering emails making appointments all that good stuff and i even with all the joy and wonderfulness i even you know got a little experience of parish craziness which was was fun as well after the uh this sunday which was july 4th it was fascinating because the pastor we had our gloria did you did you drape the church in american flags no we did not do that we did not do that okay but we did we did do a little something for america uh and it was just funny to me because we had the gloria in latin and I think our last hymn, the closing hymn was America the Beautiful. And it was like kind of <laughs> the pastor trying to like give a nod. And he's like, yeah, well, it's a little bit about God in there. So we'll do that. It was just fun. It was just like a pastoral decision to try to make everyone happy. And one lady after mass, uh, and we had a very good conversation, but she did not like either of those things. She did not like God bless America. And she did not like the, the Latin glory. And we had a nice long conversation about it after mass. But all of this is... It's a part of priesthood. And after yep. a nice long uh, break, I'm just happy to be back involved. That's so awesome. praise God. Yeah, it was fun. I, uh, after this, one of our masses, someone came up to me and said, Father, you should have the Canadian flag in the sanctuary since it was Canada Day on Thursday. Yeah. I said, I, said I, I hear you, but I, I just don't like doing that. I, I, I said, it's a, it's a very American thing Yeah. to put flags in the sanctuary, not the rest of the world, yeah. the church. And I said, I just don't, I don't like to confuse two religions. <laughs> Did you actually say that? Well, I didn't say the last part. I really wanted to, but I didn't want to confuse them. Uh, I decided I just I decided like to keep church and state separate. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I said. Oh no, I wanted to say I don't. I actually someone else said something about like something else, and I said, yeah, I don't. I don't like to worship false gods in the church. Is what mm. I wanted to say, but I just I guess I it, they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't right, understand. Right. You know, and, so. and like. Short conversations like that, you can only explain so much. Yeah. yeah. Do you know a great place that has short conversations? Twitter in the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So I'm going to do a little something different for the Summa today. Because there are so many tweets about it that I'm not going to just choose one just to kind of start talking about it. So I tweeted the other day, like, I had three different topics in my head about what I wanted to do for this episode, and I'm actually doing none of them. Um, but one of the ones that people were really wanting about, and this is something we've obviously, so I want to address it for a little bit, but I want to also let you guys know what we're going to, what I'm hoping to do in response to this instead. 
because we also know, we know it's been we, the Canada's been making the news, right? And the church in Canada has been making the news about residential schools um, and and the finding of these unmarked graves. There is, and I was thinking about doing this as a topic because I think it's worth addressing. But I also wanted to make sure, like, and I will be honest, I haven't given First Nation stuff a lot of attention in my priesthood. Mm-hmm. Partially, it hasn't really struck me, and I haven't, but I also haven't sought it out. But honestly, actually, this event has changed that for me, mm-hmm. and I want to give more attention to that. Um, but I also need to do more research and reading on this topic. I think it, it, I, need to, I need to understand things better. And, and, um, and it's true, yes, there are churches that are being burned and vandalized in Canada. Uh, it seems to be hopefully, God willing, slowing down. But um, um, it's been tough to, you know, we've had, we haven't had any vandalism of our church. I think that's because the police station's a block away. So I think people don't want to get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important. I just want to say one couple things, though. Is first is this vandalism. Actually, there's one video I was showing it. It's not First Nations people. If it was First Nations people, I would be totally understanding. But they don't, this is not their way. It's never been their way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been actually crying out. I, I, one of my frustrations is their cry for not violence or outrage like this hasn't really been covered by the media. And their voice is still being kind of trampled on, which I don't think is fair. Right. And that kind of got me pondering. Like, so how do we approach this? Because I feel like then it's just, it's not only it's two white guys, and it's two priests talking about this. Well, I'm and Italian. Like, really it's a little f- bit different, but I understand what you're yeah. trying to say. Yeah. So I'm like, is that really fair yeah. to the, to, is that giving honor to the subject? And so we're not going to do it as a topic today. And I want you to know that we're praying about this in Canada. We're addressing it. And I can tell, I can tell you this, like every bishop in Canada is close to the first nations. Mm-hmm. I don't know of a single bishop who hasn't worked tirelessly. Like, and I can't think of anyone who's worked tire- more than my bishop. Mm. Like just, just last week, we got a call to go anoint someone on a reserve here. Like, they a lot of these people still have a deep faith they're hurt but it's it's a very it's actually quite beautiful they don't allow their hurt to interrupt their life of faith wow which is amazing like and i'm actually starting to see it's like wow there's actually a lot of opportunity with the first nations that we don't have with secularism yeah um and i want to listen to that i want to hear that um and the church has been working like since the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it's been working tirelessly for reconciliation. When the when the first news came out about Kamloops, the Archbishop of Edmonton came out with a joint video with one of the chiefs. Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. And so I, I really kind of thought about this and prayed about this. And actually, it was a response to one on Twitter last night. I was like, it really kind of got me thinking. Like, well, maybe actually, it's not right for us to just talk about it when we're not. We, part of the problem is that the First Nations have not been given a voice. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's okay. Um, and so what I'm going to do, and I promise, I, it might take some time, obviously, but I'm going to actually look for someone from the First Nations to come on the show. I've actually got a couple people who've already suggested a couple people to reach out to. Nice. So we can give them, it's not a place to explain, but it's a, it's a time to listen. And so I don't know if that'll be a regular episode, if we'll do it as a bonus or something like that. I think that's actually the important thing to do. I know people are eager to hear and to understand more and to understand the history, but I think the right thing to do is to start by changing how we do things, which is give them the voice first. Mm-hmm. So 
There's that. I think that's an excellent idea. I'll just share one story. Apparently, this happened this weekend at one of my churches. That uh, I think one, outside one of our churches, there were some flags or whatever, uh, American flags, Fourth of July, whatever. And apparently, this lady was destroying the flags and just like cursing at the church and parishioners, I guess. <laughs> From what I heard my pastor talk about, and that just like hurt my brain a little bit because we're just a parish in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. Um, what is going on here? There's something psychological going on here. And, uh, you know, vandalizing a church in the South Hills of Pittsburgh isn't doing anything for the First Nations mm-hmm. in Canada. And right. like, hey, there's a bunch of stuff the church has done wrong in my area. Um, yeah. I, oh, yeah, I mean, but it wasn't about that. So there's, um, I just found that fascinating. Uh, but I like mm-hmm. your idea about waiting and um, listening, and that is good. Yeah. So that's okay. what we're going to do, folks. So I, uh, you know, pray that we can find someone. Again, I, I got a couple suggestions, but um, I think that's the right thing to do. And so that's what we're going to do. I've got a tweet. Uh, it's a quote tweet from Taylor Scholl. So I'll read the original tweet first. This is from Father Andrew Hedstrom. And he says, in my first week as a priest, I've had a heckler at mass and a letter criticizing my homily. These are not things they teach you about in seminary. And then uh, Taylor Scholl says, LOL, what are they teaching in seminary then? I want to teach a course in seminary entitled Welcome to Real Life or something like that and prepare these wonderful men for the terrible things that ministry can entail, LOL. Uh, So I have a few thoughts about this. I strongly suggest that seminarians uh, become friends and well acquainted with people who have been working in ministry for a long time. That's one of the blessings in my life uh, that I was able to like just hear stories, struggles, and joys from uh, lay people who've been in ministry for a long time. It kind of helps you get ready for the crazy. And I also don't want to like just say everyone's crazy because um, that's not true. There are so many families that are just wonderful parishioners who just pour out their hearts for the parish. You meet saints every day in your parishes, and it's beautiful and amazing and very humbling. Uh, the difficulty, and this is, I think, every human being does this, when you get something negative or when something crazy happens, it sticks in your brain. You could have a, a thousand people compliment you, but one person says that you betrayed the Catholic faith in your homily, and you're like, oh, but did I? And it freaks you out. Uh, that's the one thing I also think that seminary can only do so much to train you for. Like you just got to experience it. Um, and it's something that I'm continuing to learn to deal with. And pastorally, like when someone approaches me with a complaint, I, I don't freak out anymore, which is something I would have done my first week. Uh, now you just go into total like pastoral mode. How can I help this person? And then maybe you complain about it to your uh, friends afterwards. Uh, Cause we do need a uh, spaced event. Um, but the idea of having someone who's been in ministry as a guest speaker, you know, for, for seminarians, I love that idea. I think that's great, just to give a little dose of a reality. Maybe not right away, because you don't want to destroy the hopes and dreams of the young seminarians. But if you're in theology, yeah. it's uh, time to get introduced to some of the more down-to-earth yeah. stuff that happens in parishes. Yeah, I, two things. One is, um, I remember, so the Western Conference of Catholic Bishops in Canada put on this kind of course every two years for new priests. And um, I remember one year they brought on a buddy of mine, Mike Landry, who worked in youth ministry and I was working in the Catholic schools there in ministry. And he was kind of making, he was making an appeal for youth ministry. But it was really good because like he's been through the trenches. He knows the ups and downs. He suffered for it. And he has a family and stuff like this. Like he, and yet he still 
and yet he persists, you know, yet he perseveres, right? Um, which is, it was really beautiful to hear. It really kind of put on my heart, like, man, I got to think about this somehow. It's a little hard in our diocese because it's just, we're such a retirement diocese. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, but, but still I was like, okay, yeah, there's, there's something to this, you know, but it was, it was good, but it was hearing from someone who's been through the trenches before. That's why I think it's always important for, for priests, not only to have lay people like that, but also like even just priests who've yeah. worked hard, like you need that community of priests. But here's the interesting thing. So now I don't know what exactly is homily said, and this is, I want to flip this around a bit too. It's like, you have mm. to remember, Father Andrew has been ordained for like a few weeks. Right? Okay. Poor guy. A few weeks, people. Okay. <laughs> His first homily, the one he was heckled on was on St. Thomas and doubt and the need to study if we doubt. Cool. Okay. That makes, that's a good, the second one, preach. the letter, the homily he really, he got a letter on was on belief in the real presence. Wow. And I'm that's, like, that's distressing. Like really people like, there's nothing controversial about either of those things. And if you like, uh, I mean, I don't know what he said exactly or, or, but here's the other thing. He's a new priest. <laughs> yeah. Give the dude a break. <laughs> Seriously. You talked about nervousness <laughs> preaching in a new parish. Oh my gosh. Your first few homilies as a freshness of have the sacrament of orders, right? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, we need, like, so it's interesting. My homily this weekend was all about weakness and our need to, the only way a parish will thrive is if we actually embrace each other in our weakness mm-hmm. because our weakness is actually the place of communion with Jesus. Yes. And, and we got to do this with everyone. Like, it's why I try to, in my parish now, I, in my parish notes and stuff, I try to share a bit about myself and you can't share everything. You don't want to, thought, I, this isn't confession, right? Or anything right. like that where you, where you bear your whole heart and soul. But it's like, yeah, I suck at answering emails. I'm horrible at it. And I'm working on it. But it's a weakness of mine. And I ask you to be patient and bear with me and encourage me. Just as I encourage and be patient with you in confession, et cetera, and your yeah. pastoral needs and everything. This is the place. That's the that's the work of charity that we owe each other. And so if you hear a homily that's going to be, you know, it's it really riles you up. The first question to ask yourself is why? Why? Is it because of the content? Because sometimes it might be. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe the content's not being presented well, or maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not the true, you know, maybe I, I, I very much doubt this was the case here, right? But it, right. what if he was saying that Jesus isn't present in the Eucharist? It's, it's just <laughs> bread and wine. Okay. That's not good. Yeah. Um, you should write several is, letters. <laughs> yeah. But also do it in a work of charity, right? Yeah. Go to him first, then go to the pastor, then go to the bishop. Like, don't don't go to the bishop right away. Um, but but if it's if it's true, if it's the teaching of the church, or it's like a fair statement about how to handle something like doubt. Mm-hmm. Okay, studying is a good way to do it. Yeah, fine. I probably like myself actually wouldn't take that angle with doubt. Mm. I would go a different angle, and that's fine. Yeah, but it's it's also not wrong to say yeah what he said right mm-hmm. um and i would approve it too like, i think yeah you need to study you need to search out you need to search is like i that's what i would put it more in the realm of desire and searching right but still it's like yeah study and studying is a part of that okay so why are you riled up then maybe there's some the truth purifies it, it's it, it slits the heart sometimes mm. and it's not the intention of the preacher to do that but because of where you're at and what God's doing through his words, because mm-hmm. the preaching is always a work of, as a sacramental work in a way, it's going to preach your heart. And so you need to ask, what is God doing in my experience here? And 
if you don't do that first, then you're not acting out of charity to the one who you're writing to or you're heckling. I want to share an experience that seminary did not prepare me for. Maybe the craziest yeah. experience. And I don't think I've shared this on the, uh, I may have told you, Father Harrison, but I don't think I've shared this on the podcast because it's difficult to do so. But I think I figured out a way to phrase everything um, in a way that will make it work. You ready? So I was at, I was at a parish. I was a young priest. And uh, one of those masses where you just felt happy to be a priest, thought you did a good job preaching, felt the move in the grace, happy to see the people. Uh, last mass of the day as well. So it was just, I was in a good place saying goodbye to all the prisoners, And then I was heading back to the sacristy. And this lady walks up to me and she says, Father, I think there's something you want to know. And I was like, uh, uh, what? And I'm going to paraphrase her words. She said, somebody had a bathroom accident in the stairwell. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I, d- I didn't actually want to know that. That's not a thing I wanted to know. But now I yeah. know this thing. So and I have to deal with it. Now I have to deal with it. And sure enough, there was a trail. And uh, the sad part about the trail, or I don't know, it just it struck me that I went down the staircase and not towards the bathroom, but out the door. So whoever mm-hmm. had this terribly unfortunate experience just left, which... I don't fault that person. That's maybe what I would do, you know, just like mm-hmm. I'm out of here. I also maybe never go to that church again. Uh, that's just me. I mean, sh- this person is more than welcome to come back to church again. I don't even know who this person is, right? Just I just saw the evidence of their existence. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I scrummaged around for some cleaning things and I'm picking stuff up and trying not to gag. And this very nice old gentleman starts helping me i said no please don't please don't he's like don't worry i'm a father and i have grandkids this stuff doesn't bother me (laughs) god bless you so we both did our best to clean stuff up so i thought that this was an insane thing that has never happened to any other priest ever in the history of of the church i start talking to my pastor and he just laughs and he starts telling me stories of various bodily fluids he has to clean up he has had to clean up in his church blood all kinds of things i was like if this is so common, why has no one told me about this? <laughs> now, it's only happened once in yeah. five years. Yeah. But uh, sometimes sometimes you get a more um, earthly experience of fatherhood, and you have to clean up after yep. your children. And that was very surprising to me and very and this humbling. Is why you have, this is why you have a repairs and maintenance custodian on premise, <laughs> no, right? No, I, I'm I'm kidding, kidding, I totally I'm kidding, understand. I'm kidding. I'm, but, kidding, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Because I thought that, yeah. right? I'm like, yeah. but I was like, no, I can't. I can't call a custodian to come in and, and clean up somebody's number two. I can't do that. I yeah, can't. Yeah, I, yeah, could, yeah. I could not look at myself in the mirror, right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I'm sure they would, but it was like, it was just insane. So that was a thing that seminary did not prepare me for. Yeah. And, and I mean, that gets to the other point that, and I think at the same thing, so there's, yeah, I think, listen, Father Andrew is just mentioning his tongue in cheek because he right. knows that seminary can't prepare you for this. Yeah, yeah of course, of right? course. And, and but, but Taylor's right too. It's like, it's like, you're gonna and you're right like it's the same thing as i always say you can't prepare for the sacrament of confession really the yeah. practice confessions suck i hate them I hated <laughs> them. they were a waste of my time they were a waste of my time and i hated them completely they didn't, they didn't prepare for confession you have to go through it but that's the thing that's that patience that we all have to have with each other mm-hmm. i talked way too much at the beginning of confession now i'm like you know what no advice here's your penance go right sometimes because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have anything to say okay pride a few things okay whatever like you lied a you already times, go to like, confession like three once Hail a Marys. month like yeah yeah three Hail Marys you're good you're good I don't have any advice to give you 
because I don't sometimes, and that's okay. Yeah. Because the sacrament's still going to do its work, and and but you have to learn that through experience, and that takes time, and that's where the we need all to have patience with each other, as we learn. Because if imagine imagine if both those people, to his homilies, went up to him, because of something something had touched their heart in a way, and they went up to him with like an inquisitive. I want to talk to you about this. I want to let's encounter Christ together in this. This is why it hurt what you said or whatever, mm. or why I didn't agree with you. Imagine the encounter that would happen there instead of you're a horrible priest or whatever. You can't believe you said this, you know, you're what's wrong with the church or something like that. I don't know, whatever, yeah. whatever we hear, because we hear all that stuff. Mm. Um, that never builds up. That does not build communion. That only tears it down. Yeah. I will say just one more thing. One of the things that's been a great uh, joy and has torn my heart with joy is that I've received a lot of letters from my previous assignment of people saying, you probably don't remember this homily or this anointing, but this changed me. I experienced Christ here and it's been beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and I know a lot of people have those experiences. So if, if you're a person and that's happened to you, go ahead and tell your priest, leave a note. Yeah. It can be anonymous, but those sort of things, they mean the if, world. And if you're not a person, well, you can't write notes because you have no will or intelligence. Well, you know, uh, the fish listened to St. Anthony preach. Um, That's true. Uh, why couldn't they write in notes? I don't know. Maybe some of this the animals in, are just lazy. This is true. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. no, I agree. And that, not just that. I, I think I've said it before. Please write bishop. Yeah, we said it when we talked about the priesthood. Please yeah. write bishops positive letters about your priest. <laughs> All they get is bad letters. No, I'm, I'm really serious. I actually want to challenge people. Even if you struggle with your priest... Look for something good. Even if it's just you're grateful he's a priest. That's all you can be grateful for. That's enough to say, Bishop, I just want to thank you for the gift of the priesthood of this priest. That's all I have to say. That I'm going to mildly disagree. I don't want people okay. to waste their time doing that. I want them to send okay. my bishop nice letters. So I, <laughs> well, have, a whole, I, would, I have a whole file because everything your bishop gets on you gets put exactly. in your permanent file as a priest. Exactly. I want a whole file full of compliments father anthony i'm so glad i'm so glad you haven't cut your hair it's beautiful uh i I, mean, I wouldn't complain about that i wouldn't complain about that either to my bishop you know but it's like I, i'm not we're not i don't want to be fishing for for compliments either. i'm fishing for compliments right here i am a fisher of compliments as well as a fisher of men but look towards your local priest too and build them up build up your bishop by giving him good letters he will appreciate it yeah okay cool let's go into presbyteral expectations and now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes, yes, quite. Yes, Um, all right. So I had, yeah. Anyways, anyways. All right, we're gonna do something interesting here today. I, like I said, I... It's actually because of some conversations I've had over the last couple days and some things I've been reading. Because like I said, I've been reading a lot more lately. I got I read an article that's not published yet, so I can't share it. I'm not going to tell who it was by or anything. But it's um, on... Anyways, it brought up the question of institution in the church. How do we understand institution? Mm. And how it had some very pointed words about how the church has appropriated to herself modern managerial techniques as the form of organization, organization and structure. Ooh. And that this goes against the very charisma of the church. So actually, I want to talk about this because I think that critique was right. 
And I think it's, and it's not saying you shouldn't have stuff like financial transparency and stuff like this, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't have any of this stuff, but it's just saying, how do we order the church? So I want to talk about institution and charism. So I'm going to, that's a great idea. I'm going to stop you for a second. So uh, as I'm getting ready for, you know, my room to get fixed up, uh, my mom said she'd be here at three o'clock. Uh, she's here she's right here now. now. <laughs> she's here right now. Like, mom. <laughs> I'm recording. <laughs> I don't want to leave her in the middle of the parking lot, though. That seems, like, mean. Well, you can go let her in. I'm going to go people let her in. Just, just, so people will... And then Nick is a good <laughs> editor, so he will edit out the blank space. Uh, but the people on the video, you're going to get blanks. You're just, it's not going to be here for two minutes. So uh, I'm going to go use the washroom while you go let your mom in. Okay, I'm not going to yell at her. I'm just going to let her in say, very nicely. To say, uh, I'm recording. I'll be back. All right. So then we'll be back in two minutes, and we'll clap for Nick's sake. <laughs> He's still away. I'm here by myself. You see, if I was as smart as Father Anthony is, that's telling obscure stories. Oh, he's back. Never mind. Oh, hey, mom, come in here. Come in here. <laughs> hey, what? We're gonna we're gonna meet Father Come Anthony's here. mom here. You're gonna say hi to Father Harrison. <laughs> 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 Hold on a second. Put these on. Okay. Take a seat. Say hello. Hi, Father Harrison. Hey, nice to meet you. Oh, so you're nice be on to YouTube, meet you. Just so you oh, know. no, yeah. no, no. Don't let me be on YouTube. <laughs> All right, I got go to go because I want to. <laughs> yes, how, you're, you're helping him get his room ready, eh? I am. I am. I'm trying. Awesome. Yeah, yeah my, my parents were around a couple weeks ago to help me at my place, too. So that's what parents are good for. I think so. Well, that and many so. other things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt you, and I'll let you. It's all good. It. It's all good. Okay. Hey. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's like I'm recording a podcast, ma'am. Ma'am. My cool friend from Canada. Canada. Yes, next time when I come down to Pittsburgh, I actually have to finally meet your parents in person. Yes. So. All right. Are you ready? To start? All right. All right. I have no idea where we're So I want to talk about sacramental order, institution, charism in the life of the church because I think it's an important thing that we've allowed ourselves to fall into modern magic. I've always, because like, I don't know about you. Before I even get into this, I don't know about you, but I've always, I've had this like natural disgust towards business talk in the life of the church. Not to say it's not important; it does have a place. But that, from I think, I, and I in, in my the stuff I was reading this week, what I was realizing was, it's not so much that this doesn't have a place, but that it's become the language of institution in the church. Yeah, you know, it's it's something like a lot of times you'll get. Uh, guys who say, "Well, Father, the church is a business. You got to run it like a business." Right. Um, the church is not a business no. at all. Now, there are certain business aspects of it. Like, I want a good business person to help manage a lot of what goes on the fish fry, or you know, I want good business practices when it comes to collecting money on Sundays, uh, how to run a meeting. Those things, those are helpful tools and good. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's always struck me as a little bit weird that we've that a yeah. lot of times. Like, I had a whole class in seminary all couched in business terminology strategies yeah. for growing the church or this or that and yeah not that there weren't good things in there but it, it did always make me feel icky like something's a little bit off here so and i think this is going to be part of it is that um and it's actually this is I, of all of it actually the thing i struggle and i probably hate the most is when we talk about evangelical strategizing huh. because we are actually what we're doing is we're acting out of them this actually gets back to something I talked about a few episodes ago, but we're acting out of a institution first mindset where we create, we build, 
and we do the work and we forgot the charismatic that is the pneumatological the the foundation of the holy spirit that's at work and play that he's the primary actor and mover out of which institution naturally and gradually grows which is going to be this kind of the point this is going to be a part of the point we're going to make here so i want to talk about sacramento because actually this is very much tied to dioceses and to bishops this is gonna be fun yes it's gonna be fun I think right. there's only one bishop who listens to our podcast. <laughs> we at least one. Oh, at he's going to love this one. Trust me. That he's, is he, true. He, he will is like going to love this one because he, he hates bureaucracy. So, um, all right. So we know that Jesus institutes the apostles and out of the apostles comes. You see the messiness in the New Testament, but eventually we have what is known as the order of bishops, right? And, and out of bishops and in service to bishops in the, uh, is the presbyterate and the order of presbyters and the order of deacons. Mm-hmm. This is the hierarchical constitution of the church. And and in this, um, over time, the church starts to, like there is the universal church first, Ratzinger would like to say, but that over time, local governance becomes a necessity for the life of the local faithful. Um, and so with the institution of bishops, there's always, um, there's, there's kind of two powers that are given to them, okay? Sacramental power, right? The ability to confect and to do the sacraments, or especially ordinations, which is, I think, at the core of it all, and really all the sacraments flow from and towards that specific act, and juridical power, the the ability to govern locally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is part of their office. This is part of what constitutes them as bishops. Um, but but and so it, it's um, it's that's at the heart of the episcopate. But something happens in the Middle Ages, and it it it, it kind of occurred in the early. Then uh, Gregory the Seventh is actually a big uh, reformer in all of this. But then it really starts to separate. Is and you see this in the theology of the priesthood and 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 the bishops. So Thomas is famous for saying that the order of bishops is um, an order based on jurisdiction, not on sacrament. Yeah. Right. This might sound weird to people, but actually, you would what, what, this, this comes from Vatican II, and I'll read it in a bit here. Um, this is actually quite. This was a bit of a division in the West. What happened was that sacramental power was associated with the priesthood, mm-hmm. juridical power was associated with the episcopacy, and so it had the power to delegate to to give. And so, it, by virtue of its jurisdiction, they could ordain priests. But it wasn't something that flowed from their office. Not to say that the sacrament wasn't there, okay? It's just that the words for this weren't used yet in the church. But this is what happens. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. If you if you uh, know a bunch of nerdy theologian priests and you want to get them real riled up, ask them if they think they have the power to ordain. Yeah. And that'll be a great conversation. Make sure drink. They don't. Make sure you give them drinks and then find a few crazy ones, and that will be yeah. a fun discussion to have. Yes, but this is a, this is. This is a very, this actually, this is something I got from reading Ratzinger, um, obviously, but, um, (laughs) sorry, keep going. (laughs) What happens is you see is the separation between juridic power and sacramental power in the office of the bishop. That sacrament. And so like, listen, in my old seminary, you still had the old stained glass from before the council and it had the seven steps or the seven, um, steps to priesthood Mm -hmm. and priesthood is the culmination of orders, right? It went, the last three is subdeacon, deacon, priest. There's no bishop, mm-hmm. right? 
So this was this is what, what what Vatican II brings about is not revolutionary. It's actually bringing us back to what Scripture says. But with, but this is what happens is that when you start to see the bishop as a juridic person only, as someone who only does governance, the bishop quickly the priest becomes the sacramental hobby horse, if you will. Like like he's the guy who does the sacraments. He's the cult guy, and that's all he does. And so the bishops institute and ordain priests in order to do the sacramental work while the bishop does all the governance work. And so what happens over time is the episcopacy enters into a realm of governance. You see this all the way up even to Vatican I, where we have a high emphasis on the Pope, obviously. We know that the Franco-Prussian War is what ends the council, and so it doesn't actually get a chance to complete some of this stuff. And it talks about the delegation of the bishops as kind of like they're delegates almost of the Pope, if you will. Again, yeah. this is not wrong in the juridical sense, it, it's, but it is wrong in the sacramental sense, right? It's a specific um, emphasis. Right, because it's true. The Pope, by virtue of uh, his role as unifier of the church, has the ability, he, he has the ability to determine who's going to go where. Yeah. By vir virtue of the law that he is the universal legislator. He can do this. He has this, it's, it's part of his office. Um, but I bring all this up for a reason, because up until the council, this juridical mode of episcopacy was the norm. A norm that was bureaucratic and governential, okay? Vatican II comes along. Dun, dun, dun! And ruins everything, right, Father Harrison? Wrong. Oh, okay, good. So Lumen Gentium, this is perhaps, uh, it's pretty unanimously held that though the council did not intend when it was convoked to declare any dogmas, it actually did declare a dogma. Yeah. Around the Episcopacy. See, it says this, because it uses very official language. This sacred synod teaches that by Episcopal consecration, is conferred the fullness of sacrament of the sacrament of orders. That fullness, which in the church's liturgical practice and in the language of the holy fathers of the church, is undoubtedly called the high priesthood, the apex of the sacred ministries. From Lumen Gentium, paragraph twenty-one. And so, this is a definitive judgment. This is something that's to be accepted by the church. I know the nerds will argue over this no nah, i just think it's a little suspicious that you get a bunch of bishops together and they're like we're the high priest neener 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 i mean but this uh, this actually gets back uh, i think it's a, is it Irenaeus or is it ignatius i'm always I, I always get them confused i always get them mixed up one of them one of the i guys talks okay. about the bishop unity with the bishop through the eucharist is unity with christ Ignatius, he does the the very high. I feel like it might have been Irenaeus. Irenaeus is the French guy, right? And he's all about the chain of apostolic succession. I think so. And then Ignatius right is the Eastern guy, and he was the one who was like uh, the the bishop represents the father, the right. priests represent the son, yeah. deacons represent. So yeah, yeah. And anyways, <laughs> but regardless, but regardless, what you see at the very early bits of the church is is how there is a sacramental order at play here and actually you see this in john's gospel i was just before we recorded today i did a rca lesson 
and I was talking about the institution of the church and how um, John places Mary and John at the cross and that his breathing of the spirit is his, it, it's, it's an emphasis on the charismatic or pneumatological underpinning of the church that it's always God's work first and that this is the same, at play, and that's why it's the same action of Christ in the upper room after the resurrection. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, a, it's, it's that there is an institution in the church, which is this, is, this is the other thing, folks. This is the church's institution, apostolic succession. That's yeah. the core. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's all. There is nothing else. Um, really and truly, there's nothing else. That is the institution of the church. And I, maybe we can talk about this a bit later about like why we struggle with the notion of institution today, but um, um, that's it. But the thing is, and this is what John's gospel really does a good job of emphasizing is that it's, it's an, it is an institution, but it's rooted in God's action in the Holy Spirit. It's got a charismatic, it's something that God calls, right? Ratzinger has this phrase, he says, that the link with the line of succession, on the contrary, that the sacramental office is never at our disposal, but has to be given by the Spirit again and again, that it is the sacrament of the Spirit, which we can never provide and never substitute for ourselves. So he's emphasizing here the Spirit's role at play here, that this is what has to be emphasized. And so what Vatican II is doing here in, in arguing that the <clears throat> order of bishops is the, the fullness of orders, that it's an order unto itself, and that it's what from which all order in the church flows, now is essentially making a very radical statement. And, and what I want to talk about here is, and this, I'm giving like a bit of a historical and theological um, background to all this, is that, and we've said it before, the council hasn't been implemented <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because we are not rooted in a sacramental order, hmm. okay? We, we are, I would argue that the way diocesan structures largely are organized are not based around sacramentality and the sacrament of orders that is found in the bishop, but is largely still, is, is because, it, because in, I guess you could call it, like, I don't know if it's Episcopal culture or it's just whatever it is, because it's true, they have juridical power, they have sacramental power, but the juridical is rooted in the sacrament. Like, and you see this in canon law, right? It talks about how the powers of the bishop flows from the order itself. Their power of governance comes from the very fact of them being a bishop. Yeah. Their ability to rule and govern is not something that's impugned to them by the Pope per se. They're given the rights to exercise that. But I mean, like the, essentially they're given... Um, they're given jurisdiction like over a particular place by the Pope, but it doesn't flow from the Pope's power. It flows from the order of bishops of which they participate in itself, which means that the sacrament's actually at the root of all this. And that's the root that we have to be organizing ourselves around as the church, okay? And, and so we haven't actually implemented this because I would argue we're still working out of this juridic sacramental order separation. Yeah, I agree with that. It's making me think because there's there's uh, an analogy to um, the governance power of the parish priest as well, and I've heard many very well-meaning and very frustrated uh, priests who have seen the institution of the church fail them and people over a long period of time, and have openly wondered—not openly, but you know, in conversations with their priests—is this the best way to run the church? Mm -hmm. And understand where they're coming from because um, uh, we've all been failed by the church in, in, in many ways. Um, but you can't change that. 
that aspect that governance does flow from the sacramentality of orders that's not something that we can change that's something that god has done Mm -hmm. and um don't get me wrong i complain to god about stuff all the time but this is something that if god has done it then there must be some goodness to it or Mm -hmm. your reason for it right so like for ratzinger he says charism precedes institution this is something that's actually a common theme of, of his it's something like he would put like more anthropologically or sociology like mores or culture precedes institution because modernity i think we talked about this a few weeks ago modernity says institution first yeah right and that we can build that we can create our and this is this is the mentality that's overwhelming the church especially north america we have bought into this hook line and sinker and it's why people i think are resistant to the idea of the church as institution because we do not live the institution as sacrament we live it as risk risk aversion as financial management and again these things have a place and we'll talk about this here in a second these things have a place but they've they've overwhelmed they suffocated sacramentality as the mode of ordering you see ratzinger actually goes so far, and it's actually quite a common thing he says the church is over institutionalized yeah he says it's over institutionalized he says it's not bad that the church develops institutions but that that always has to be rooted in its more fundamental charismatic foundation which is the holy spirit that it's the actor which means that we have to organize ourselves in such a way that that becomes the lifeblood of things. Because you're right, this affects not just diocesan structures, this affects parish structure, this affects different way Catholic institutions like universities and stuff structure themselves. If we are to be a sacrament of salvation, we carry something of the world in ourselves, but we also manifest something radically different at the same time. Otherwise, like I, I think we 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 actually do not live our sacramentality because we we don't we refuse to be the sign of dependence on the Holy Spirit. So this gets to the question. I think this is where we can have maybe a you know that's a lot of history and theology there. There's a lot more. Trust me, I could go on for hours on this. But um, what does this look like? Yeah, that's that's what I've been thinking as you've been talking about. And I think this is I don't have all the answers to that right now. I have a few suggestions. Um. But I don't have all the answers myself, partially because this is a discussion that was just prompted recently with some friends. Yeah. But we have to start asking this question and start like, because I'm asking this question now in my prayer. How do I organize my parish this way? What does this look like? How do we manifest? And how do I, how do I give the Holy Spirit his priority that is his due in the life of the parish? Like, like Ratzinger says, man, this is, I might, I might get in hot water for this. Maybe do we shouldn't it, do, have it, voc- do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Maybe we shouldn't be having vocation directors. <gasps> I don't hate you for that take, uh, but it's complicated. It's complicated. I know. I know. I, you listen, you, in I, an I'm ideal saying, world, or you would not does, have vocation directors. What does vocation direction look like? Mm. Right. And like, because, you know, listen, in sharing in the bishop's ministry, you need someone to maybe represent the bishop. You can't meet with every guy all the time as right. people are discerning. Yeah, yeah. So I get that. Like, I'm just, but what, what's vocations director? We're going to have a guy who's going to travel in the diocese, and it's his job to promote, to find strategies to encourage vocations. And you don't hear anything about the Holy Spirit there. Nothing. Right. Zero. Zilch. Nada. 
It's all strategizing, uh, planning, bureaucratic programming, and Numbers. that's not the language of sacramentality. Yeah. Right. And, and apart from that, the fact that vocations don't come top down like that. Uh, they, they grow in families. They grow in parishes. Uh, this is something that a, a vocation director, a friend of mine, uh, would complain about. He would say, I should be vocations collector. Every priest in the diocese should be a director, right? Every parent is a vocation director. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, okay. I got four ideas that okay. I'll bring forward here. Uh, five, sorry. I'll bring them quickly because I know we're running out of time. <clears throat> you got to go be with your mom. <clears throat> yes, I've left her in the other <clears throat> room. And my throats. As Take my throats measurements, said. mom. See if my new desk will fit there. I think at the heart of this, this is very Giussani of me. We need to re-educate ourselves in freedom. <clears throat> I know it sounds abstract, but what is freedom? So for, for Giussani, freedom looks first like, well, at the heart of freedom is I'm created for something to which I have to answer to. Well, what am I created for? My destiny. What is my destiny? Christ, which I'll never fulfill in this life, but I need to always seek out in this life, in my choices, in my experience, and reflect on my experience to see if it's allowing me to achieve my goal or not. That's the essence of freedom. So that's about finding this correspondence. Like, so first it means pay attention to your heart, mm. that I'm created for something more, to uncover that, to let it expand, to expand the heart essentially, so that I'm always seeking the infinite. So I'm always seeking Christ. So then the things in front of me don't become barriers to him anymore, but actually they're seen in his light and actually they're given a radiance they never would have before. That's why Giussani likes to say, you can, if you, if you, it's Jesus' statement that um, if you follow me, you will gain your treasures in heaven and a hundredfold here below. He means you're going to love a hundred times more here below because you're going to love Christ, <clears throat> which is really beautiful. And in this education of freedom then means that if I'm, if I'm starting to live this, this coherent, this correspondence of my heart with my, with my destiny, it's going to create a coherence, which is witness and authority, right? Which says, I live what I teach, which becomes something attractive and starts to propose questions in other people's hearts. And it builds up trust. And I think that's the key. Freedom is based in trust which would then allow for a communion to exist in the life of the church, in the parish, in the local church, universal church, where there's a real trust at play that says, I know you're seeking Christ. I'm going to let you do your thing because you're seeking Christ. And if you don't, like that's what authority exists for. Say, wait, whoa, whoa, your heart is not going for your, you're not, mm -hmm. you're not living your freedom. That's when authority says like, no, no, it's not about like imposing. It says, no, no, get back to your heart. What is your freedom? What are you created for? Examine that. And so I think, and, then, and this kind of gets to subsidiary, that's the next one, but that's the first one, freedom. And I think, I think we don't have an education in freedom. I don't think we live freedom very well as Catholics. I know myself, because we want to control. We want to control. But if we, if we allow the Holy Spirit to be the primary actor, that's where freedom lies. Uh, I agree with all that. Uh, I'm trying to think of something... Um... You talk about freedom and trust, right? And control. And that's what you see a lot in the bureaucratic life of the church. We have to decide what a parish should look like, what it should do. We need to focus on that right away. Instead of, because when you're living in true freedom, 
you're kind of riding the wave of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the, this is going to be a messy analogy because I'm just coming up with the top of my head. Like the parish is a boat, um, but the Holy Spirit should be stirring the rudder. Like you have things to do on the ship, but you don't know where you're going. It's the freedom to kind of go along with the spirit instead of saying, these are our goals. This is our five-year plan. Now, maybe after discernment and prayer, those things can be helpful. Uh, but even then, the spirit's weird and does whatever he wants to do. So you always have to be open and flexible to that. So freedom is lived, in my opinion. Actually, and I, I want to write an article on this one day. They're really... The that, that the principle of subsidiarity in Catholic social teaching is how the order of sacrament in the life of the church is meant to be lived. I think subsidiary is a deeply sacramental principle that the church hasn't even recognized per se. Per se. Because what is subsidiarity? It's saying that the um, lowest level of governance or responsibility, if it can be done at that level, ought to be done at that level. Right. So like in, in, in the, this is now this is the church's teaching on how how civil society should govern herself. Right. Right. But I actually think, well, if that's the case and the church has the is the fulfillment of the world, then this is the way she's meant to be lived. We actually haven't. Yeah. Been. We have not been living subsidiarity mm -hmm. at all. Right. Just think how often. Um, like, well, let's look at covid. Diocesan <sighs> decrees. Now, listen, I, and I'm not trying to I'm not cause like. And I have to be careful here because I, I do, I'm not saying this at a place of criticism, but it's like, mm -hmm. do we trust our priests to do what's the best for their parishes? Now, maybe sometimes we don't, right? That's, that's another problem, but yeah. you know, to do what's safe, like, and, and to take that seriously, yeah. here are some guiding principles to work with, but you're going to do what's best for your parish. Cause like, like, can we trust that? Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying, and I don't, what does that look like? I don't know, but subsidiarity allows for this. And, and I think this is the way the church has to be structured, which is, but that's only possible when we take this principle of freedom seriously and we yeah. take the Holy Spirit as the primary actor. Subsidiarity is, and so it's really the expression of that hierarchical communion because it also says, I know when I need something bigger than me. Mm -hmm. And it also says, I know when I need to depend on others with me. And I know when I need to take charge. Yeah. That's freedom. Mm -hmm. And there, I mean, I know that there are many priests who, reject their own freedom and want yeah. bishops to make every decision for them. Right. And they freedom. don't want to do anything themselves because uh, they don't want to take the, the heat for it or whatever. And that's, you that's cease loving. You cease loving because you, you, yep. you cease to take risk. Yep. And that's the problem like, with the... See, like, this is why... Okay, a little aside. Like, I'm going to go ranty and I know some people are not going to be happy with me about this, but it is what it is. This is why all these business structures of running the church have to go completely right away. Again, so financial departments, we need them. We need financial transparency. We need accountability. Absolutely. Like, so I'm not saying these things aren't there, but they need to be placed in the right order. How many things do dioceses not do because they're afraid of the risk? Mm -hmm. To me, that's actually a spiritual problem. We've stopped loving. We've stopped to love. We've stopped to let the Holy Spirit be the inspirer of us. And so we can't, we, like I think as priests, we should learn a bit about proper management uh, because we are stewards of the people. And today, that's that's economic. We are in the world that way. And if we want to function the world, we have to work in her. So we do need a bit of that. But it's not the primary way of acting and governing, right? Do we do we live this dependence on the Holy Spirit and how we manage our finances? Which would then also place a trust on the people. Hey, folks, we only got $5,000 left in the bank. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit and on you. 
through whom he's going to work to make up for our expenses this month or something like that. I don't know. I think that might be a little too much. I don't know, but I'm just like, you have to think about, these are the questions we should be asking because we do not, we, this can only start to happen when we take sacrament as the source of the life of a diocese and the life of a parish. Seriously, the sacrament of orders. Seriously that way. Which then, and I, I maybe this is for another podcast, because then what does obedience look like in that? Yeah. Right? It's a great question. Because <laughs> yeah. I think, honestly, I think obedience means a healthy dialogue. Yes, like, I agree. Because I think, I think still a lot of the ways obedience is worked in the church I see this less and less between bishops and priests, but yes. I think a lot this, this is not the case in religious orders, mm. just from stuff I've heard and things I've observed. Obedience is you're, not only are you going to do what I say, but you're not even going to complain about it. You're not going to fight back. You're not going to give me your opinion. I don't want to hear it. Obedience is do and shut up. Yeah, That's not obedience. Mm. That's not freedom. Mm-mm. And so there has to be a dialogue where this communion is at play. And this is all possible. I'm, I'm really rushing because I want to make sure we get done here. Um, at the heart of this is prayer. How many, like, if we're going to have a diocesan synod or something like that, is it rooted in prayer? Mm-hmm. Is prayer the first action we're doing? Because if we're not praying, we're not letting the Holy Spirit take charge, and we're trying to manipulate and create, and we're always going to fail. This is why we keep on failing. It's not because we haven't tried a billion good programs. It's because we've tried a billion good programs on our own. We have not right. let the Holy Spirit inspire us because we have stopped praying. And also, I mean, there's, there's two things with that. One is the subsidiarity of prayer. Like, if you if your, your priests and people aren't praying, then nothing's going to happen. But also, you know, when you get together, maybe prayer should be more than just the priests reading through together the liturgy of the hours maybe it needs right. to be more than that right uh, as well yeah and that's why i think parishes need to become places of prayer mm-hmm. because it's our way of saying i depend on you and i think like listen i actually i believe that if like if we're not getting enough vocations that's a sign of our spiritual death yeah. and it's it and it's a judgment on our life of prayer and our lack of dependence on the holy spirit yeah we need to depend again. It's not to say that we don't have an involvement here or that we don't have action. I'm not saying get rid of all lawyers and all financial accountability. I'm saying let us pu- let the Holy Spirit purify so that institution, which is proper to the life of the church because we're human, is renewed and reinvigorated for mission because that's at the heart of all of this because that prayer is going to lead us towards our destiny it's always going to put all our choices and decisions in the light of does this help me or my people find christ and it and go after him because if it doesn't it's not worth doing it's not worth doing the holy spirit has to be the actor so there is so much more to say on this but we have to get going here because i have to i'll just say one thing yep yeah, yep. one thing, like if if sac if jurisdiction fo- uh, flows from sacramentality, if we're supposed to live more sacramentally, the first priority of the parish priest should be worship. Yes. How often are the sacraments something that we do on the side, and parish plans are based around, and no one wants to touch the liturgy, because yep. either it's too difficult, too messy, or it's just seen as something you just do. It's another gig. It's another thing on the schedule. Instead of being like, wait, this is actually where we encounter God in the deepest way possible. Yeah. We should focus on this first. I would, so like, I would say that the three Minera 
of the bishop, but also that the priest participates in as pastor. Yeah, you you don't get this because you're not a pastor, so you you just you just Thanks you're just his, you're just his handyman, uh, right, his liturgical exactly. handyman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's governance, preaching and teaching and sanctifying, right? Yeah. My my argument is that we've not only allowed governance to take over, but that we've allowed it to. Um, take on a form that's not sacramental that I don't want I want to like I actually think that those three Minera are they exist in a hierarchical communion themselves ah, with mm. with because I don't want to put them as one is greater than the other and so we need which then de-emphasizes the others right. they, they live in a we always have to take the Trinity and Christology as, at the heart of things so but I would say in the hierarchical element, it's actually sacrament, teaching, preaching, or sorry, sanctifying, teaching, preaching, and governance. Yeah. But that they all feed and flow out of each other. Just yeah. as the yeah, Father, it's thing. the monarchical, it's the monarchical hierarchy, but it's also of the Trinity, but it's also the Father begets the Son, the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the two of them, but it's also a communion that one can't exist without the other. And, this, and that's, that's the way the three should exist. But that the heart of it is, is, is that is is sanctifying right that's the and, first and this word. this is something that that are uh, we have a really difficult time understanding and you see in a lot of dialogue uh, about the church is that just because there's a hierarchy doesn't mean that any one of those components are unessential and utterly rely on each other but also like sometimes a parish will focus on liturgy but in order to get more people into the pews and it's like whoa you you've you flipped it around you focus on liturgy because it's the worship of god and that that's it you you can stop thinking right there that's reason in and of itself and, and but when you flip that around like oh if we do if we add this kind of music or that kind of uh banner or whatever uh, uh, then you've then you've messed everything up it becomes just another bureaucratical move uh, it becomes marketing it becomes advertisements and worship should be worship and if you don't get that right first as much as a human being get worship right you know all caveats aside it like if you're uh i am tired because it, i woke up at seven o'clock no i had seven o'clock mass so my thoughts aren't exactly great right now but if if the parish is supposed to be a school of prayer if it's the place where people are supposed to pray and liturgy isn't your top priority that's not clericalism that's that is abandoning your fatherhood mm -hmm. it drives me freaking crazy exactly and okay. that's and i think that's why that's why I put it that way. It's a hierarchical communion because it says that there's a certain order. Yeah. But it's not, but it's said in such a way that one isn't actually higher than the other. Right. It's just, it's like, it's placing a logic of source. Because well, what I say is like, because like what, by doing this is like, okay, fine. Too much governance. Well then all liturgy, no governance. Whoa. Right. That's bad. Cause then your parish is going to go bankrupt while you're putting on Latin masses with 25 piece choirs and spending the parish's money <laughs> and not serving the poor and not teaching yeah, people yeah. right yeah, yeah all three need to feed each other and it's why like it gets back to like this idea like as a priest as a pastor it has to have that heart of the father so like when pastors because like, they have the other you have the flip side mm -hmm. i just want to do liturgy i don't want to do paperwork i wasn't ordained right. for paperwork right no yeah. actually you were you were though <laughs> actually you were because you're off you, the action of governance flows from the orders that you've received mm -hmm. for the good of the whole body of the church and if you ignore it you're ignoring your fatherhood 
Yep. Also, why every priest should have good handwriting because you're a cleric and you should be good at clerical work. Hot take of the day. I no. I, I'm sorry. I have horrible penmanship. Well, maybe you need to work on your prayer life more. If that's uh, what I'm learning from this podcast. There you go. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's some thoughts. I think there's a lot more to say on it, but absolutely. I think we need essentially we need to implement the council here. And if there is a bishop listening. I would encourage you to think about this adventure with this. I'm going to go on to adventure with this in my, in my, in my parish. I got to I'm yeah. going to, this is, this is going to be the catechy. I actually might send this episode to all my parish council and say, listen to this and think and pray. I don't know. We'll see. If not, I'm going to actually, this might when I have a hi, meeting with them. Hi, Father Harrison's parish council. My name is Father what? Anthony. Father Harrison's a pretty okay guy, but make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. Right. Exactly. I want, but at the very least, this is going to be, if it's not, it's going to be at the talk I give to the parish. Actually, what I was, but I've been thinking is like the first step is to educate anybody who's involved in ministry in the parish in September, bring them all together and say, this is how a parish is to function. This is the church's yes. vision of it. Now start to pray and ponder and reflect on how this actually looks. So just as a quick aside for next week, we actually going to have a bonus episode. You're not going to be there. Do, 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 do. No, um, I'll be taking a nap. You'll be taking a nap. Um, mm -hmm. We have Larry Chap coming on the show. I'm going to, who's I got a great blog, uh, theologian. Uh, him and I have emailed. I know his wife listens to the show. I know Larry sometimes listens to the show too. So, hey guys. Um, but uh, we've emailed Exchange and I said, you know, I love just bringing on the show, just have a chat. So it's going to be a different format. It'll be next week at some point, And it's just going to be an hour long-ish conversation. We won't have a Zoom or anything like that. It'll just be, a, I want it to be a conversation about the state of the church today. And he's had a lot of really interesting things to say. He's a great theologian. And so um, I'm looking forward to having that conversation with him. Yeah, he's he's a uh, pretty, pretty smart guy. Yeah. And it, this is the nice thing about our format now is like, we can do this once in a while. We can have a bonus episode. I can take it or you can take it one week just to do it because we want to do something extra. And we can. And then it's a, it's a little treat. A little treat. It's a little treat. <laughs> little treat to the listeners. So thanks for listening. Please subscribe anywhere you subscribe. Uh, please leave a review. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says you must love your enemies. You can find the podcast Clerical Pod on Twitter. Email us clerically speaking at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, on YouTube, everywhere like that. You can find me on Twitter at fr Harrison, and you're gonna be able to find Father Anthony in his room with his mom as they figure out the decorations, right? Correct. I, I, was that what you were going to say? Yeah. Yes. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. We'll see you guys. Well, I'll see you guys next week. And the both of us will see you in two weeks from now. So God bless.